side of midnight with Frank Morano. I'm back in the saddle again. Out where a friend is a friend Where the longhorn cattle feed On the lowly Jimson weed Back in the saddle again Gene Autry, the singing cowboy, singing about being back in the saddle. Well, back in the talk show saddle, we have the singing talk show host. Very pleased to be joined in studio by a longtime friend of mine, veteran TV and radio talk show host, who's now hosting the aptly titled Richard Bay Talk Podcast. So what should I do, sing the Sondheim song? I'm still here. (laughs) I'm still here. Bad times and good times and the ABC WWRL Sirius XM. I'm still here. Well, I'm here for a short while anyway. It's great to have you back, uh, Richard. Okay. It's good to see you. You look terrific. Well, thank you. You look good too. A little sunburned around. Me, uh, well, uh, it happens. I, uh, I that's one aspect of um, the the Italian genes that I never got is just getting olive skin. I, I tend to get burned. I tend to get red. Well, all right. So earlier on, um, one of your astute listeners, a guy named Jeff Schilling suggested that we talk about theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could go directly to uh, Blood in the Water and feed the piranhas, uh, we'll, if you want, We'll cover as much ground as we can. Well, but, let me ask you on, well, yeah. maybe this is a polarizing hot-button issue that is even more dividing than affirmative action and abortion and gun control all combined. Fireworks. These fireworks, mm-hmm. I have to tell you, the, in my neighborhood, they were firing them off at 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. Now... I think anybody that has a child or a pet is pretty frustrated by this. There seemed to be very little enforcement. I tweeted about it, and it was the case uh, evidently in city after city. Just fireworks. People felt like they were in Fallujah, and there doesn't seem to be any concerted effort to shut them down. Where are you on fireworks? Well, I, I, I heard an, a very interesting statement on this subject, and uh, the person said, if they're if they try to take away my fireworks, <laughs> they'll have to pry them out of my cold dead hands. And my cold dead hands, they're over there on the other side of the sidewalk. <laughs> Blow, blown off with an M eighty, no right, doubt. Right. But do you like fireworks? I have to be honest, uh, I don't get it. I've uh, I, my friend lives uh, you know across the river and he's got a high floor and he said, "Come on over, you could watch the." I've seen so many right. fireworks. I mean, so how many years have I seen fireworks? And what? There's not a big difference between. You know what I would like to see? Some places now are not using fireworks; they're using drones. Right. Those look pretty neat. And you know what? I would like to see that same. because I've never seen that. Yeah. Same. Exactly. There's some novelty to it. Now, you uh, grew up in New York, lived in New York for many years. Now you're living in Florida. One thing you're going to have to straighten me out on is there seems to be this huge rivalry among Floridians. 
the East Coast Floridians versus the West Coast Floridians. <laughs> you hear the East Coasters talk about the West Coasters. It's it's like they describing the Hatfields and McCoys. Now, for those of us that don't live in Florida, to us, it's it's like that Star Trek episode where the guy who's black on the right side and white on the left side hates the guy that's black on the on the other side of the face. But to us, it's all the same. What is the cultural difference between East Coast and West Coast? I really I, I can't t- tell you. One way or the other, I can tell you the cultural difference between the panhandle and certain uh, counties in okay. Florida. Yeah. But, you know, you know, there the the east coast of Florida, though, is uh, has a large proportion of transplanted New Yorkers. So maybe that's part of it. But I'm really, I'm not aware of it. What I'm aware of is the is the disparity between those people who love DeSantis and Trump and the the ever shrinking sort of liberal uh, const- uh constituency in Florida that's feeling more like the Alamo with Santa <laughs> Ana Needless, needless to say, you're not in the DeSantis slash Trump fan club. Oh. Is your area very conservative where where you live or I'll just tell you this. I come to I, I, I fly up to New York maybe every six weeks uh, or so. I was just here at the beginning of June and I came back. I come here for sanity. Mm-hmm. The last time I came back, uh, you know, to the place where I live, I went to get my mail and there was a, a very nice looking woman there in her 30s and her dog. And we started talking and she said, oh, you seem very bright. What did you do for a living? And I said, oh, I worked on talk radio. And she says, oh, did you know that? I said, yeah, I, I knew Sean Hannity. I shared the studio with him. And so she said, oh, I love that blonde woman who's on the right. Ra- I said, who? And she goes, you know, the one that outed Michelle Obama. And I said, outed Michelle Obama? She says, yeah, she proved that she was a transsexual. Oh. And now everybody knows it. I said, what are you talking about? They have two kids. I read her her autobiography. She grew up as a girl. She went to college. Her best friend was a woman. I, I, and I said, I said, you probably believe that Trump won by seven million votes. And she said, of course he did. Uh, you know, putting aside the election thing, the transsexual thing is uh, something I just don't understand. Somebody, somebody called me the other day on that, and I asked him to explain that same thing. Where did these two kids came from? And the guy said something. In fact, see, that's the real scandal. That's what we're going to figure <laughs> out. It just amazes me what people will Well, did you uh, see the believe. DeSantis ad? Yeah, I, I heard about oh, it. I didn't watch it. Oh, my God. I didn't oh. watch it. Oh my God! So it's uh, it's kind of describe it for folks. All right. Well, it it starts off as an anti-Trump ad, and it it has pictures of transsexuals or drag queens, and then you have Trump saying, "Well, he's being asked if if Caitlyn Caitlyn Jenner Jenner came came to Trump Tower, would you let her use the uh, women's restroom?" And he said, "Sure, I have no problem with that." Right. And then another one, he said, uh, "I'll be the best friend the gays ever had," and then he says. uh, transsexuals don't bother me, or uh, and then it goes into Ron <laughs> DeSantis, just comic book territory. There, it looks like the second part of it was designed by Tom of Finland, who does homoerotic. Oh boy, it's it's muscle men with their bare chest and their muscles sticking out. And it's uh, Brad Pitt wearing a a, 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 a Greek helmet in the uh, Trojan War, and it's it's all these symbols of masculinity that are sort of like macho macho man. Trump plays macho man, right? Right. right. Things, right? 
And it, it's sort of a parody of masculinity. It's a caricature of masculinity. And uh, even the log cabin Republicans have come out and yeah, said, I've heard it almost universally condemned. So I guess the implication is that Trump is pro transgender. Is that the implication? Well, of the and end? that Ron DeSantis is a real yeah, man. Boy, he's a he's a he's the Marlboro man. Oh, <laughs> my goodness! Hey, uh, you alluded to that conversation with uh, that woman whose interest was piqued when you mentioned your career in talk radio. I'm going to pose a question to you that I get asked a lot, and you've probably thought about this for literally decades. You've uh, worked at uh, conservative outlets. You've worked at liberal outlets. The question I get asked so often is why is talk radio so dominated traditionally by conservatives, political talk? I mean, obviously, there are some left of center voices, people like Tom Hartman and others. But for the most part, if you turn to a commercial station, a talk station in this country, 80 to 90 percent of what you're going to hear is conservative. Why do you think that's the case? I think it's because liberals listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. Liberals want they don't want to hear slogans. They don't want to hear generalizations. They want to hear something that has uh, background information that has factual, that's uh, more in depth and and subtle. I mean, I listen in Florida. There's only one station that I can pick up. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now, but they have a, they have a woman on Joyce Kaufman, who's mm. right wing, followed by Don ben- Bongino, followed by Ben Shapiro. Hello, this is Ben Shapiro. I'm telling you right now, the Biden said the Biden crime family, and then they're all going to go to jail. And I'm telling you right now. I mean, this guy I don't think it's fast enough, actually. <laughs> right. I know, but he sounds like an auctioneer who went to his kid's birthday party and sucked helium out right. of a balloon. It's true. It's he, true. That guy has a voice for radio. It's beyond me. I don't, I don't get it. But so honestly, it's the the fact that people that are left of center have other listening options. Is that well? What and they of? read books and they well, come on, conservative free. Yeah, but when you're in the car, which is generally when you're listening to talk radio. Um, you know, you're distracted, but you're paying attention to the traffic, you're hearing horns blaring, and it's it's not a medium for subtlety, mm-hmm. except possibly at late night. Yeah, like see, this, there right? you go. Maybe we can get Remember away with in more the old overnight. days, we used to have, uh, who was it, uh, Long John Nebel and Barry Gray mm-hmm. overnight. My grandmother used to go to sleep listening to them. And when I grew up, I remember MCA, where they had Leon Lewis, Malachi McCourt, Bob Grant, um, yeah, Barry Farber was on there for a time. Barry, and sports shows, like guys like John Sterling, yeah, Alex Bennett, but, but, obviously. Uh, yeah, but, you, you know, and especially these days, people want it fast. They want it simple. They want it direct. It's sort of like a, a television commercial. They don't want something that's, you know, even in their news these days, most people... And whether and that's true of of MSNBC or Fox News or Newsmax or whatever. They don't want the subtle delineations between things. They don't want to necessarily understand the background of something, you know? If people just tuning in, Richard Bay is here. You could check out his podcast, which is quite good, irrespective of what your politics might be. It's very informative, very entertaining. Uh, Just go to Richard Bay Talk on YouTube. Can I just say something? Yeah, please. On last week's podcast, I had a segment where Lynn Samuels was on. And Irv Homer, who was the premier talk show host from Philly. And the next time, I'm going to put out together a montage of Bob Grant. Oh, terrific. The, and some of the topics were, should we ban communism in the United States? Mm-hmm. That was one of the shows. And the other one was men. He was speaking out for men's men-only clubs. 
so that clubs should be able to have only right, sure. men like the Friars Club as members. To. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that's interesting. I look forward to uh, hearing that. Uh, you know, it's funny. Recently, I went back and watched, I think it's on the YouTube, this debate from 1948 of uh, Thomas Dewey and Harold Stassen. They were mm-hmm. both running for the president, Republican nomination. And the whole debate was on the one question of should the Communist Party of the United States be banned? Yeah. And it was a fascinating discussion um, just listening to these two two folks. Can like, I tell you one sure, more thing? Yeah, I know you may be going to a break. But, you know, my, when, my first job, professional job, uh, was, in, was in a movie, a Clint Eastwood movie, actually. And I had to join the Screen Actors Guild. And when I went, uh, you know, to sign up for the union, they gave me a form that said, um, I am not nor never have been nor ever will become a member of the Communist Party. And remember, Ronald Reagan was the, right. had been the president of the Screen Actors Guild. They don't do it anymore. But this was in, I don't know, 72, I think, or 71. And I said to them, are you kidding me? I said, I'm not a communist. I said, but I don't think you should have the right to tell me that I can't <coughs> have a political ideology, and which is one of the Supreme oh, Court yeah. cases. Right oh, now. yeah. And you, they said, you don't sign this, you don't get to work. So you signed it. Of course. So later on, when you did become a communist, did you have to update SAG-AFTRA <laughs> that you were now a communist and in violation of uh, of your oath? Hey, um want to pick your brain on a few issues in the legal system right now. One of the political issues that dovetails with the legal system, and in fact, it seems like they all do these days, is the issue of affirmative action. Before we talk right. about what the Supreme Court decided and where future cases may go. Overall, what is your view of affirmative action as it relates to college admissions specifically? What, oh, just as college admissions? Uh, you know, I, I, as, I think that I think there's a benefit to having a diverse uh, student body in college admissions, and I don't think that factoring in – I think – I think what was in, wasn't it Texas who did the thing where they said the top twenty percent of, um, of of each school district. I mean, to say the Supreme Court saying that racism is no longer a problem, I can understand why they say that because whether you're a black justice like Clarence Thomas or a white justice like uh, Samuel Alito, you both have access. Uh, to uh, airfare on a billionaire's private plane <laughs> and a luxury resort. So obviously there's no discrimination anymore because, you know, whether you're black or white, you both can get that if you're on the Supreme Court. The um, By the way, people want to call in and uh, talk to Richard Bay. They can. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let's talk about the Supreme Court case they decided specifically on affirmative action. The Harvard case and this University of North Carolina case where essentially they ruled six to three that you can't they created this issue of colorblindness and they said you can't take race into account directly if you want to mention it in your essay that's one thing but unless you're talking about West Point or Annapolis you can't include race as part of your admissions criteria what do you think of what the court did there um I think it's I think as um uh, uh, Judge Jackson said uh you can say that the Supreme Court can come out and say that racism is is not really a problem to be addressed in this way, but that's not really what happens in the real world. I mean, you cannot consider the kinds of, and I don't even know the ultimate answer to this, but the kind of uh, public school education 
uh, that most children get in the inner city. Um, and I don't know, I would assume to some degree that Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, Clarence Thomas, um, Judge Jackson, that all of them benefited. And I think the country benefited, in, uh, certainly, uh, by affirmative action that might have um, offered them a place at uh, Yale uh, or Columbia Law School. So, uh, so you know, on the other hand, you know, I understand J.D. Vance was a hillbilly, <laughs> the hillbilly elegy, right. and he got into Yale, and I'm sure they factored in the fact of his background um, and, and in his essay, where, where he came from. In fact, the, the, his book and his movie documents that, you know, that, um, you know, he felt very different. He felt like a fish out of water. He felt they looked down upon him. Um, but I'm sure he benefited by the fact, but that was economic. That wasn't uh, racial. Right. But it was also sociological. Sure. He came from a family of drug addicts. Right. And, so I, I guess the question is, should somebody that is from an upper middle class no, black family that's right. uh, ha- get extra points on their Harvard application right. over someone like a J.D. Right. Vance, who's poor and from a family of drug uh, addicts? Or the, the generally, though, that's I don't think that is the case. But if Eddie Murphy coming to America as the, <laughs> the king of whatever country and he applies to and they are oh, black. Let's let's check that one off. <laughs> yeah, ex- I'm sure he's exactly the applicant that they would enjoy. <laughs> no, but there are foreign I know, applicants, I know, I know, right? I know there are indeed. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. If you want to talk to Richard Bay, James I, is in Pennsylvania. Okay. Hello, James. Hi, how are you tonight, Frank? Uh, doing well, James. W- w- what's on your mind? Well, I live in a, a shanty. You know what a shanty is? An old beat up house. As much as I is up in the Appalachian Mountains, sir, and I was educated as a practical nurse, and I'm gay, right? But you know, people with glass houses shouldn't throw stones, and um, to demonize the whole race and put them down. And every time I call there, I'm accused of being a transsexual and a pedophile and everything else. I don't know where those shoes, sir. I think my people should crawl out of the woodwork. You know what? Can you remember back in Norfolk, Virginia? I think it was where the black cameraman, or no, the man, the anchor, the man. That it was filmed, filmed with black, and there was an anchor couple, they were white, and those white couple, they were religious and on the TV, you know, and they kept taunting that black man about being gay. You know what he did in the news? He took a gun and killed him in cold blood. Okay, you well, James, uh, James, thank you. I want to congratulate yeah. you. You are single-handedly responsible for our uh, telephone talent coordinator, Elias, getting a promotion <laughs> after today's show. Uh, well done. That is a textbook call screening right there. 800-848-9222 if you think you could do I'd better I'd really like to talk about the other case, about the um, the gay website. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I, well, I'll ask you about that. But, see, just on the on the college admission issue, now you have the civil rights group that's challenging legacy admission and they're That's saying right. that the practice discriminates against students of color by giving an unfair boost to the mostly white children of alumni. Where do you see that going? Well, it's certainly it's not based on race, but, you know, Harvard, it's like 20 percent of their student body, our legacy, and 70 percent of those students are white. So and, and when I went to Yale, I was a, a graduate student at Yale and I was a graduate student advisor. They'd give me free board, and I got to eat free in the commissary mm-hmm. with all the undergrads. And a, a good proportion of the undergrads that I met, very nice people. But I always thought to get into Yale, you had to be really super intelligent. 
And I didn't find them to be as well-read as I was with a public school education. And But the one thing I didn't know about, and, and, and I'm so naive coming from Far Rockaway maybe, I'd never heard of a prep school. I never heard of a trust fund. Mm-hmm. And I never heard of the names that they had, like right. Thaddeus, Barton, Prescott. And, yeah, yeah. What, 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 what was? Uh, oh, Kelsey Barton. That's outstanding. I, I mean, you know, they they had these old, weird, old-fashioned names. You know, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the one guy's name, but they I, they weren't bad people. Sure, but they were right. Different, different socioeconomic. But, the, but they also were not what you would expect at Yale. Right. You know. Got it. They knew how to. They knew which fork to use <laughs> to open the oyster shell. You know, I didn't. Got it. So you, you both got something of an education, <laughs> right, I guess. Right. Um, you mentioned the gay we- the uh, gay website, the gay wedding website All case. Right. Uh, give me your take on this situation. If people aren't familiar with this, basically, this uh, woman had this company creating wedding websites. And- no, she didn't. Oh, she didn't. She hypothetically had a company. Right? Hypo- she imagined. She imagined that someday. <laughs> Someday in the future, I might have a website. So this woman, she's never made a website for or or worked for on weddings. No, she's she's a graphic designer, and uh, she said she said I've never made a website. I've never worked on weddings, but I might want to do that someday. And then there was a gay man who inquired about her creating. Uh, uh, such a website and invitations, which violated her Christian principles. And so she's, and then we find out that there was no gay man, that there was no gay wedding. The man in the, in the pleading that her lawyers put before the court is married, has kids and is, and is married to a woman for 10 years. Wow. So, uh, the, the argument ag- against seeing this as factual is the is that it wasn't intrinsic to the case, but her lawyers and the leading lawyer, most people don't know this, the leading lawyer on this case is the same woman who was um, one of the leading lawyers in the uh, abortion pill case. Oh, really? Kazmarek. Uh-huh. And she just happens to be the wife of Senator Josh Hawley. Oh, interesting. All right. So to me, so so here we have a case where we're deciding an imaginary website with an imaginary gay man and an imaginary wedding, and um, and, and the Supreme Court is saying, well, you know, she first of all, why does this woman even have standing in this case? Yeah, uh, you know, in order to have standing in a case, you have to show actual injury, injury in fact. To the party that is the plaintiff. Sure. What is her injury? Her her um, uh, her dream of the future? I mean, it's it's just crazy. The uh, I mean, look, I think you're right on the money in terms of the standing question. The state of Colorado did tell her that if uh, she denied this service, hypothetically all around, that it would be in violation of the of the code that they passed all for right, civil so rights. So let me propose this to you. Mm. Suppose I say as Justice Scalia once uh, um, um, opined that the Second Amendment says you have the right to bear arms. And suppose I go out and I buy a stinger or a javelin, which you carry. Sure. They're born. 
Do I have the right? So I go out and I buy them and then I get arrested. Or, or do, do I have the right then to go to jail, uh, you know, not to go to jail to say, I'm just testing the law out because that's what I think the Constitution says? I, I, think, that's, uh, I think that's fair. What I was going to say, though, is uh, l- let's say you're right. Let's make all these people real people, though. And does, doesn't she have a point, the plaintiff? Don't the plaintiffs have a point that you can't force someone to do work? I mean, isn't that kind of the the antithesis of the freedom of commerce well, and everything uh, like that? We, we do have laws that say, uh, listen, when um, Rosa Parks, the Rose, Rosa Parks actually had to sit on a bus to challenge right. the yeah. idea. She actually had to sit on the bus when you, Lawrence versus Texas, gay man. And his lover, both thrown in jail for having consensual consensual adult sex. That is an injury of fact to a legal person. When in in Griswold versus Connecticut, when you look at that case, which is about contraceptives, the doctor who was distributing contraceptives went to jail. That is an injury of fact. This is an injury of imagination that is fabricated by a right-wing Christian group. I, I know it's late. Can you stick around a few more yeah, minutes? Yeah, right. I can stick uh, around all night. All right, we're going we're gonna to take some calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Richard Bay is here. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. By the way, one of the things that you can enjoy on the Richard Bay podcast is they do these throwbacks to different moments that uh, Richard has had in his broadcasting career. For instance, there's this one of Richard Bay interviewing Jimmy Carter. You know, the presidency... You have had a few years to think about it. You have been busy. You've been writing some books. You have been doing other things. You've been teaching. Do you miss the presidency, though? Not really. I I remind myself that even if I had been elected to a second term, I would now be out of office and someone else would be there. Obviously, I wanted to be uh, there for eight years. I think I could have done a lot more for peace and human rights and and, uh, arms control had I stayed there. But I've had a very full life and a very enjoyable and exciting and challenging life since I left the White House. So, so there is life after public office, I'm glad to announce. And our family have uh, both enjoyed the four years in the White House and also the four years since then. The Other Side of Midnight. 